Today on am to dm The Amber Geiger Verdict, actor Ryan Michelle Bethay is here, and I'm interviewing author Haben Gurma. We'll see you on the timeline. Good morning, Twitter. I'm Zach Stafford, she's Alex Berg, and you are watching am to dm Here's a tweet from CNN. Prince Harry and his wife Meghan are suing a UK tabloid over a private letter it published with the Duke and Duchess of Sussex alleging it was published illegally and edited selectively to hide lies the paper had told about the Duchess. Ooh, here's a tweet from Greg Hoban. Prince Harry released a statement about media bullying of Meghan. I've seen what happens when someone I love is commoditized to the point that they are no longer treated or seen as a real person. I lost my mother and now I watch my wife falling victim to the same powerful forces. Ooh, that letter is a lot of feelings, and deservingly so. You know, since Meghan became Duchess, or even with Harry, she has faced so much bullshit in the media yeah. over there, and it's just racist. We just gotta say that yeah, out loud. Yeah, so much I have to tell you, I'm not someone who really follows the royals very closely, um, and even still, you can very quickly get a picture of the kind of racism that she's been uh, subject to, and just how For vitriolic sure. and disgusting all of it has been. It's insane. So Meghan Markle, she's a fellow mixed black person, and you know, us and our mixed crew um, that she's a part of that she doesn't realize, we really ride or die for her. So my sister and I talk about Megan constantly. And it's just been incredible to see how the media has treated her so terribly. But Kate, you know, Prince William's wife, as the saint, as this perfect person. You know, and I do respect what they're doing here. They're saying, we're going to take a stand. And the reality is, is Princess Diana would not have died if the media had treated her better, if they had not chased her down through that tunnel, all these things. So it is a very personal conversation for them. So I do respect that. And Prince Harry is saying, you know what, this is enough. We're going to stop. And especially when this letter that was released was to her father, and they say it was edited to be misconstrued, which is really hurtful because, you know, she already has such a tinged relationship with her family here in America, um, and to have the media exploit that, it's just really, really gross. Yeah, I mean, you know, I don't quite understand um, the laws around the press and press mm -hmm. freedom um, in the UK, but I think it's, like, really easy to see the distinctions in the way that she's been treated versus other members of the royal family, and just exactly. that it's, like— so, so gross. Yes, so gross. Especially because she's out, she's finishing up her tour in South Africa. I don't know if you get updates on her life. I do. Just catch I me do, up here a little I bit. Do. Like, I see, I see some really cute videos <laughs> from time to time that pop yes. up on my timeline. Yeah. Well, she is currently in South Africa leaving, and they just did this wonderful tour. You know, many of the royals go and visit countries in which they were the colonists of, so we're not going to make that a romantic thing. You know, the UK, the British people were the biggest colonial powers in the world for a long time. So they do do these tours to places like India or South Africa, in which they did have some power over. Um, but she just wrapped it up there and was really well received, and people loved her. So, you know, today I really want to end on a positive note. You know, I want us to celebrate my sister Megan, who doesn't know I exist, <laughs> and get some good content out there. So let's take it to the timeline and celebrate Miss Megan Markle. Share with us your favorite Megan moments, memes, gifs, gifs, whatever it's called, I know you're going to correct me, using the hashtag <laughs> am to dm Can I just say that one of the big things that I want to correct at the beginning of uh, those tweets that we read mm -hmm. is it's funny to me that she's positioned as like Harry's wife. It's like, no, Meghan Markle the actress. and that man. You know, that man, that man she's married Stunning. to. Like that, you know, she is, yeah. He is lucky. Yes, he He's is. He's a lucky person. Yeah. Honestly, I would be lucky to have him. <laughs> I, you know, they're both great. I love both of them. It's fine. <laughs> Here's a tweet from BuzzFeed News. An ex-Dallas cop is guilty of murder for fatally shooting her unarmed neighbor in his own apartment. Goldie Taylor tweeted, The conviction today offers a ray of hope, though I still wonder what might have come of this case if Jean had been a 17-year-old high school dropout, a middle-aged mechanic, or even a drug-addled 30-something with a string of prior offenses. Dallas should not be an anomaly. We should be able to get justice in, US, in any U.S. city. Goldie is an editor-at-large for The Daily Beast and wrote about the verdict. She joins us now. Good morning. Good morning. Okay, so the first line of your story captured how a lot of us felt about this news, I think. You wrote, I thought she was going to get away with it. What was your reaction to the guilty verdict? I think like so many people, frankly, I was surprised. I was surprised that the jury came back so quickly uh, within, I think, four or five was all surprised that the charge was murder and that it stood up. I was surprised that even in a place like Dallas, which has, uh, which is rich in diversity, by the way, but is still a very conservative, conservative town. And I was quite surprised, quite frankly, that they did not give Amber Geiger um, 
you know, the benefit of the doubt, the benefit that a lot of officers receive when they walk into the court of law, that they are necessarily telling the truth all the time. And so I was surprised with, you know, a full concophony of, of elements that went into this case that we are standing now looking at a guilty verdict and the possibility of 99 years in prison. Um, so you write in your piece that you wanted to believe Geiger because she, of course, is a police officer. So what did she do after this incident um, regarding Botham Jean that had uh, that made you believe that this was more damning? I think that all of us want to be able to trust officers of the law. They are sworn to protect and serve us. They are paid uh, by taxpayers and funded through municipal dollars. And that, you know, we want to feel that our streets, our homes, you know, our, our workplaces, you know, where we live, work, and play, that all of that is protected by officers of the law and that they are going to have a level of integrity that is maybe it rises to even a higher standard. And so you want to be able to trust what they say. Um, and I have been one of those people, quite frankly, who has parked on the wrong level of her apartment complex and gone to the wrong door and placed my key in the wrong lock. And so, you know, from the outset, I wondered if she were telling the truth, that it was simply a mistake. Uh, that, But the unfortunate thing is that Botham John paid for that mistake with his very life. I was willing to hear it out, though. I was willing to hear as, as much of the evidence as you or I standing outside of the courtroom would have access to. I was willing to hear it out. And there was one element that I just couldn't shake. And that was she rendered him no aid. After shooting a man twice in the chest in his own home before he could clearly rise up from his sofa, you realize immediately that you are in the wrong apartment apartment and you have shot an innocent man. You don't stop to render aid. You immediately begin thinking about your tomorrow. You begin immediately begin thinking about how you explain yourself to the 911 operator, how you explain yourself to the first responders. You don't uh, try to staunch his bleeding. You don't attempt to apply CPR. Uh, you don't even hold his hand and say, baby, hold on, help is coming. You show him no regard. All of your regard, however, is reserved for yourself. And that, to me, spoke volumes about um, whether or not this was simply an innocent mistake, which I am now skeptical of. And, you know, spoke volumes about, you know, just sort of the series of misjudgments that she made along the way. I want to go back to uh, this notion of surprise that so many of us felt. What do you think the surprise uh, about the verdict says about our criminal justice system? Well, I think the statistics are really, very clear about how rare it is, how rare of a thing it is that a police officer would be charged with number one, indicted, or ever face criminal uh, proceedings in which he or she were charged with uh, shooting a person in or outside of the line of duty. It is frankly difficult um, for prosecutors to get an indictment out of a grand jury on charges like that, and frankly, uh, quite difficult to convince a jury of 12, no matter where you are in this country, to convict an officer who we all believe put you know, their lives on the line for us every day. And so, you know, you don't see it very often. Now, in recent years, you have begun to see more of it, especially as in high-profile cases um, of officers like Michael Slager out of you know, Charleston, South Carolina, who was put on trial for the shooting death of Walter Scott. But there was videotape in that case, and it clearly showed Michael Slager shooting Michael Scott, um, uh, Walter Scott in the back multiple times and then planting a weapon on his body. But for that videotape, I believe Michael Slager would have walked free and, you know, and I think about in this case, you didn't have a videotape, you didn't have audio, you didn't have you know, the kinds of damning evidence that it generally takes uh, to cure a conviction against an officer of the law. You didn't have any of that. And so I think many of us were quite frankly surprised that a jury were, was able to see the facts as they were and render a guilty verdict in this case. You just don't see it very often. Uh, it is a rarity indeed. And, you know, I think that's 
where people have come to expect injustice. And I think that's what it says about us. And that's what it says about our system. Well, Goldie, we always appreciate your time and having you on the show. Thank you so much for joining us. Thank you for having me. Here's a tweet from Natasha Bertrand. The White House upgraded the National Security Council's top secret code word system last year to include a log of who accessed specific documents in that system. That's likely to interest Democrats who want to know who was involved in putting Trump's call records there. And here's a tweet from Daniel Lipman. What's on those Trump calls with Putin? Lots of friendly talk. They were certainly the type of thing that you would not want in public because they were just really embarrassing from the standpoint of just national pride, said a former Trump NSC official. Joining us now to discuss is political reporter Daniel Lipman. Good morning. Good morning. Thanks for having me. So first, walk us through what the system is and what changes have been made. So it's uh, based in the National Security Council. Uh, it's called NICE, the NSC uh, Internal Collaboration Environment. Uh, and basically, uh, it is a ultra-secret system where people can edit uh, and write documents like presidential findings uh, and you know uh, other documents that are very highly classified, like covert actions, like uh, those that targeted Osama bin Laden. They're placed in there. Uh, and only a small subset of NSC staffers have access to it. Uh, and they wanted to uh, prevent these types of leaks after uh, President Trump's calls with the Australian Mexican leaders were leaked. Uh, and they were very embarrassing uh, to every side involved. Mm. So, you know, these changes have been made for a bit. And we'd love to hear about how they've been impacting people's jobs day to day. It seems like a drastic thing to be moving some records into a highly classified area when they used to not be. Yeah, I think they made it much harder for people to see those uh, presidential transcripts. And if you're a uh, staffer working on international issues at the NSC, you want to see stuff that Im impacts your region or your country that you're focusing on. Uh, but they wanted to make it harder for everyone involved to see those transcripts uh, because they wanted to limit the circle of people uh, who actually could uh, leak them. Uh, and a lot of these calls were not uh, highly sensitive material or, you know, it's not like Trump was talking about military missions with uh, Vladimir Putin. Uh, and so Democrats on the Hill, uh, they're going to be investigating uh, and looking into why these transcripts were placed uh, into this code word system that is mostly, that it should be used for highly classified covert actions uh, and, you know, source names and all that instead of uh, you know, putting them there to avoid political embarrassment. Um, you know, that's why those calls with Putin and MBS were put there uh, to limit their, uh, you know, the number of people who had access to them. We are talking about all of this, of course, because of Trump's uh, call with Zelensky. And on that note, um, how does all of this impact how we understand uh, the whistleblower complaint about that call with Ukraine? Basically, my reporting with Natasha uh, you know, confirms that the what the whistleblower was saying that they were putting these transcripts uh, into this uh, highly classified system, uh, and that they were concerned about leaks from it, and so they wanted to see exactly who accessed uh, which documents. Uh, you know, that kind of confirms that the whistleblower is on the right track here. And so, while President Trump and Republicans have tried to tear down the whistleblower's, uh, you know, allegations. Most of what he has said already has been proven to be true. And the, the White House released a known transcript that confirmed uh, what he had alleged. And so, um, you know, so far he's been pretty on the money. And I think it's up to Democrats uh, in the House to confirm or try to confirm the rest of the allegations uh, to make sure that they were accurate as well. Mm. So, Daniel, how is the White House responding to your reporting today? So I went to the uh, National Security uh, council press office, uh, and they said they, they didn't want to, uh, you know, confirm or deny any of it. Uh, and they basically don't like to uh, comment on classified systems and actions. And so uh, it was kind of a decline of comment, which is, you know, to be expected here. But if it was wrong, then they would have probably uh, called me off the record and say, hey, you're wrong here. But we had a number of sources who confirmed this. Okay. Well, Daniel, thank you so much for joining us and for your reporting on this. Thank you. Um, as someone who had no idea about these classified systems, <laughs> it is so fascinating to mm -hmm. me. Yeah. It is kind of crazy to think that. I mean, it's actually not crazy. We should not be surprised that President Trump right. would take tools that have been 
put in place for many years and warp them to fit his personal interests. I think that's like the theme through everything. <laughs> personal <laughs> is political, which is a feminist mantra, <laughs> but she doesn't believe it, so anyway. <laughs> well, later on in the show, I sit down with activist Haben Gurma, but up next, actor Ryan Michelle Bethay joins Zach for Fire Tweets. Welcome back. It's time for Fire Tweets, and today I am joined by Ryan Michelle Bethay, who you might know from the show Empire and the new show First Wives Club on BET+. Thank you for being here. Thank you for having me. Of course. We're trying to get every one of your cast members in. You know, Michelle Bateau oh, is here. You are here. You know, all the greats. All the all greats. The, all the greats. Um, <laughs> well, before we get into learning more about you and the show, we're going to play a quick game. Okay. I'm going to hit the button, read a tweet, and then you're going to do the same. Okay. Make sense? Hit the button, read a tweet. Got it. Yep, you got it. All right, I'll go first. Okay. So, Amy, you tweeted, Sorry I'm late. I sat on my bed in a wet towel for 43 minutes staring at my phone. <laughs> do you do this when you're getting all ready? All the time. I sit down and I'm like, okay, first of all, I needed to put my lotion on when I was slightly damp, and I didn't. <laughs> I missed my window. Because yes. I'm like, tweet, I, what, what, what was I doing? Yes, I also, that's a good note for everyone. When you're slightly damp is when you put the lotion on. Really smart thing to do. Yes, I've been lotioning... For a long time. For, you know, we, we read a study once, I think, on this show where a lot of folks who are white do not put lotion on a lot. And which that's I, Which fascinates me. I was like, how do you not put on lotion before clothes? Like, don't you? We were shamed as kids if you. Anyway, that's a whole other thing that is not scripted for today's show. No, not scripted we will for today's show, but lotion. Yes, lotion, okay. everything. So your turn. So I hit the button. Yep. Ah. King, you tweeted. You ever lay next to someone and try to breathe like them and almost die? Have you tried this before? I've I have tried to yes. 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 I'm not even gonna lie. Yes. Because you think it's gonna be romantic. Like we'll breathe and think and you're like, oh this person live. Yeah. When I've tried it, I'm like, girl, why are you breathing like this? This is hard for me. Or they're struggling. Yes. You're like, why? Or they're not taking enough breaths. Not so. yeah, other you you don't notice. Not everybody breathes the same. God, that we're is all lesson. unique breathers. So we're learning lotion and your breath is special. We're your getting through some special. this is like therapy. I love I it. Sarah, you tweeted. Three-year-old in bathroom. Mommy, can I put the sticker on daddy's card? Me in bed? Yes. Three-year-old. Will he love it? Me? Yes. <laughs> So you have two kids with your husband, Sterling. I do. People may have heard of this man, Sterling Kate Brown, you know, little actor person. Um, but do you find yourself in situations like this? I find, yes. First of all, because when you're in bed, when your three-year-old asks you anything, mm -hmm. you just say yes. <laughs> like, like the first one, you know, my oldest, I was like, oh, honey, you know, I tried to engage. Mm -hmm. Now with the three, I'm like, mm-hmm. Do whatever. Yes, baby, whatever. Mm, <laughs> the yes. house is burning, <laughs> let it burn. <laughs> yes, it's, listen, is that, are you on fire? No? Okay, we good. <laughs> this is great. Okay, now we're learning about motherhood. Just yes. say yes to the three-year-old. Just say yes to the three-year-old. <laughs> all right, so tweet of the day we're going to do together. So I'll okay. count and we'll hit the button and you'll read to this prompter. Okay. You got it? All right, three, two, one. Ah, tweet of the day comes from the lioness. Six minutes into First Wives Club. Ah, mm -hmm. shit. <laughs> <laughs> Which seems to be everyone's reaction to this. And you know, and it makes sense because you know it's such a great show that is an homage to a 90s classic, one of yes. my favorite movies. But I have to ask you, you know, as an actor in this work, mm -hmm. why was it so important to put black people's experiences to the front and center of this show? Well, you know, I thought about that a lot. And I don't know that that was... I think that there is this amazing movie called First Wives Club that is truly a part of all of our mm -hmm. DNA. And Tracy wanted to show how she metabolized that movie in her own life. Mm -hmm. Do you know what I mean? Yeah. Because really, isn't that, didn't we, didn't every single one of us yeah. in our friend group, like, you know what I saw on First Wives Club? Yeah. Don't do that, girl. <laughs> you know what I mean? Like, you, you know, we yes, all have yes. those conversations yes. about like, these are, these become the shows and the movies that we, mm -hmm. you know, reference yes. with our girls and our boys. Yes. You know what I mean? And we always joke about, you know, if a man cheats on you, how you're gonna like, do a lot of terrible things to his life. His all, sports cars, if he's rich. All, all the terrible things. things. Honey, many a time I have been dressed in all black. And <laughs> yes. And oh, I'm for the tires. Girl, I, girl Ooh, yes. Girl, that was cheap like, later. Look, <laughs> yeah, I will tell you this. I will tell a quick story, and I will not say mm -hmm. her name because she has her own little following, Ooh. but a friend of mine <clears> from, <throat> yes, yeah, so right, drink the tea. <laughs> 
Somebody was doing her wrong. And I was like, get your girl. I got on some black sweat. And she was like, what are you doing? I was like, we're going to slash his tires. She was like, I you think You got the Vaseline that. and the sneakers on. And she was like, and she was into it. And then she realized, she's like, you know, we're at Stanford. This might not be how we want to go out. I was like, we're not going to get caught. She was like, um, yeah, no, this might not be the best. Yeah, that may not be the best. I would have supported you. You could have called me because I would have bailed you out. See? I would have got you, girl. Thank you. Thank you. But that's my point. It's like we all metabolize this mm-hmm. and we all, there is a sisterhood out yes. there and I you know whatever colors and shapes that sisterhood mm-hmm. comes in I just think it's a celebration of women and sisterhood mm-hmm. and and you know reminding people that like women in this business have been making money and doing amazing work and it often gets marginalized mm-hmm. and so we're just we're not here for the marginalization for sure and also I think it shows that we as people of color also have dynamic and complex stories like your character Ari is uh, she had her own law career she did. Uh, and then she left it to support her husband for his political career Mm -hmm. and he's not being very supportive of that and we hear that story a lot of women having to step back to let men step forward have you ever experienced that situation in your own life yes absolutely because of that little actor named sterling k brown (laughs) (laughs) um no but you know life comes at you fast Mm -hmm. right isn't a commercial life comes at you fast and it doesn't it's not it doesn't occur like these very neat choices. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? Like, I'm going to make this choice now. It's like, you know, you got one kid and then you get another. And then, you know, in, in our case, this thing happened to Sterling that it was completely unpredictable, mm-hmm. completely outside of the norm. And yeah, there were times when it was like, I will, you know, what was I going to do? I had a little yeah. baby at home. You know, somebody had to pick up the toddler from preschool and he had to go to work. Yeah. And it just kind of happened that yeah. way, you know? Yeah. But, and, and you do, do, and that happens to a lot of women, just biology, just the nature of things. And men don't ever have to take a time out mm-hmm. just to have a baby. Yeah. So when one, when one person in a, in a union has to do that, then naturally things sort of fall on them. Mm-hmm. And then before you know it, you know, I don't think that necessarily happened in Ari's case, but I definitely think in my case, it's a little, it's not as cut and dry. Mm-hmm. So I've had to really be mindful of stepping forward. For sure. And it know? seems now that you all are being incredibly supportive of each other. And I would argue it seemed that he was very supportive of you as you really, you know, his star on This Is Us was really rising and you were taking care of the kids. So how do you all manage to do that in an industry where I think it wants people to have division in their relationships and to see each other as competition? That's a, an amazing question. Yeah. How do we manage that? I think you know, we've been doing this for a long time mm-hmm. before the industry even took notice of either one of us. Yeah. And I think we have to always remember that the people that saw each other, we were the people that saw each other mm-hmm. before anybody else saw each other, you know? So I think that the trust is very, very deep between us in that respect, mm-hmm. you know, because we know, like, I've, we went to grad school together, yeah. you know? So I, I knew you before you had a job, Yep. <laughs> you know? So all of this is really nice, but yeah. these people, they didn't know you when, and I did, and you knew me when, yeah. so. We call that a ride or die, right there. Ride or die. I love that. You're giving me hope <laughs> in my single life. I'm gonna find my Sterling. <laughs> he find your, he is out there, honey. And he he'll be fine, there. too. Okay, before, be I let fine. You go, before I let you go, <laughs> this is so much fun, I don't want to do it. I have to ask you, Tracy Oliver is the executive producer of First Wife's Club. Yes, she is. She also did Girls Trip, yes, which she we did. all love. Yes, we did. Did she bring that Girls Trip energy to the set of your show? Yes, and no. you know, Tracy is extraordinary at letting people um, just go. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. She sets up the, the the chessboard, and then she's like, "Go play." Yeah. You know, so I I would imagine I wasn't on the set of Girls Trip, but I would imagine it was a similar situation. You know, where she just put all these wonderful pieces together. Michelle and Jill are extraordinary women. Mm-hmm. They're extraordinarily fun and generous, and I just think that if I think that that might be Tracy's magic. Mm-hmm. You know, is picking the right girls and saying. Go have fun. Yeah. You know? And she she's great at picking comics that are that just bring down the house. Because mm-hmm. Michelle, in every scene. In, I mean, you yeah, see, you she, know. She was here. Like, she yes. was like, mama was getting me together Let's here. See, <laughs> oh, she will get you straight. She'll she, be like, why you wear me now? Right. Like, and then I'm like, who? And she's like, she's always like, I'm the Puerto Rican Martha Stewart. And I'm like, A, you're not Puerto Rican. Definitely not Puerto Rican. B, like, <laughs> like you're not even, like, no. Like, you're That's Haitian so... and Jamaican. Where we get Puerto Rican? Like, <laughs> you know, we can drink. We can drink. 
dream. We well, can dream. Tracy I does, dream about being Dominican. Well, so. you know, we have to wrap here, but I have to say Tracy does have great taste because she picked you, and you're Aww, fantastic. It was lovely you. catching up and chatting He's about so your man and this job of yours. And your man-to-be. Man Let's to manifest be. You hear that, America? You're manifesting to this. Look, look, come on. Oh well, thank you for helping with Fire Treats. <laughs> and you can watch First Wives Club on BET+. Plus. Now, up next, we are talking about the new Joker, the director of the new Joker movie. We want to talk about what Joker director Todd Phillips had to say to Vanity Fair about woke culture. He said this, Go try to be funny nowadays with this woke culture. There were articles written about why comedies don't work anymore. I'll tell you why. Because all the fucking funny guys are like, Fuck this shit. Because I don't want to offend you. It's hard to argue with 30 million people on Twitter. Phillips directed Road Trip, The Hangover, and Old School. And here's a tweet in response from Boo McScreaming. Most complaints about woke or cancel culture boil down to this. Before social media communities without, before social media, communities without a platform typically were left out of the conversation. They didn't think you were funny then either. You just never had to hear the reactions before and you hate it. My favorite response is from Patton Oswald, who somehow beyond belief manages to be funny and not offensive. Wow. He tweeted, Fleabag, Pen15, Broad City, I Think You Should Leave, Big Mouth, both Deadpool movies, South Park, Succession, Righteous Gemstones, Bill Burr, Nikki Glaser, Dave Chappelle, Chain for Life, It's Always Sunny in Philadelphia, Between Two Ferns, Anthony Jeselnik, Jojo Rabbit. That is a mix of uh, different shows and movies, some offensive, some not offensive, all funny, all still existing. And all have lots of representation in them. Yeah. And people making jokes about those people and people not usually backlashing against them, except for Dave Chappelle who faces off the right, 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 right. <laughs> but it's so funny to hear, this conversation has been like ongoing so much. I mean, we had SNL with that person who I've now forgotten his name. It's so funny it how should, the news cycles just move so, you know. so quickly. Um, but being fired and people being mad because they're like, he's a comedian, why are we doing this? And the fact of the matter is, People are not comfortable in, right now with the fact that they're being held accountable for what they say. And they can't just say it without anyone not hearing it or people not being able to backlash or hit back at them. And I'm sorry, that's just the world that we live in because people that look like us were never given a voice. And now we get to say, hey, when you say something misogynistic, it's misogynistic. Right, I mean, here's the thing. It's like uh, these kind of guys like to say like woke culture mm -hmm. or the Me Too mob um, are ruining everything. And really those are just used as these straw men mm -hmm. for the idea that racism and misogyny and sexism and homophobia and all of these things aren't funny. Yeah. And if those are your humor, maybe it's time to course correct. Yeah. But I, exactly. And I think what it also shows you is just how structural these systems are of racism, misogyny, et cetera. Because if they were so necessary for you, white, cisgender, straight person to be successful in comedy, that when you take yeah. them away, that you have nothing, tells us a lot about the world in which we live on. That it, that it is defined by the racism and homophobia that hurts people like us, um, but things to go away. And that's what they're feeling shake. Is it like, oh, oh wait, those really sloppy, easy jokes about like the gay person did this are not able to be said, well, I have nothing else to say. Maybe that's a good moment I, yeah, for you. Yeah, like maybe, maybe you should move on. Yeah, I mean, you know, the other thing too is that nobody is saying don't say what your point of view is. Mm -hmm. um, we're just saying that if we don't like it, we can voice that we don't like exactly. it. And the other thing too is it's not like um, this guy has not been successful. Mm -hmm. He uh, has done these really, um, pop, made these really popular movies mm -hmm. and just went on to make another movie, The Joker. Yep. Um, and so it's like, what are you talking about? Nobody is taking away your capacity to do your work. This just isn't an actual thing. No, you may have been critically, been critiqued by some people on Twitter or by a few outlets, but you're still getting checks. You're still getting jobs. Hollywood's still built for you. So no, you're not getting sympathy here. I'm so sorry. Yeah. So I got to say, like, maybe go see, you know, the Harley Quinn movie, Birds of Prey, see some oh, yeah. uh, women kicking ass instead. I don't know. But um, what's a hilarious show or movie that manages not to be offensive? Tweet us using the hashtag am to dm uh, I saw Freestyle Love Supreme last night. It was so oh, funny. Yes. Also, non-offensive thing. Lynn Just Manuel. hilarious. You know, support, so. support our brothers of color. Yeah. Yeah. All right. Well, up next, I'm sitting down with the Irwin family. Here's a tweet from Thing 2. Doesn't matter whether it's happy or sad, you can catch me sobbing during every episode of Crikey, it's the Irwins. And I am so excited to be joined now by the Irwins, Bindi, Robert, Terry, and Chandler Powell, the fiance. Yay! Yay. 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 
yes, she said yes. <laughs> you look so relieved. <laughs> this would have been really overcome. Yeah, it would have been. She said no. Well, we've been together for like six years, so I'm pretty sure I was gonna say yeah. yes. Yeah, okay. That's a good idea. Confidence, but no, that's a good thing. He's still yes. fighting yes. for you. That's it's, good, six I, years. You're a good guy and I just met you. you. I appreciate no, that. I like that. Well, let's talk about the show. Yes. It's some emotion. So you wouldn't think you'd get so emotional watching animals, and you all with animals, mm. but you do. I found myself in my feelings. What about for you all? When do you all find yourself getting teary-eyed working with them? Oh mm. my goodness, all the time. I think that for me personally, our Australia Zoo Wildlife Hospital mm-hmm. is where I get the most emotional. So we rescue and rehabilitate many different species of wild animals that mm-hmm. are sick, injured, orphaned, with the goal of getting them back into the wild and having having them get that second chance at life. Because with our ever-expanding human population, they really struggle in the wild. So we've rescued and rehabilitated over 86 thousand animals which is huge and it is so wonderful but so emotional at the same time there's some bittersweet moments i mean from orphan koala joeys Mm -hmm. to rescuing enormous sea turtles it's extraordinary that's where i get the most emotional and i mean sometimes it's so sad because you're seeing animals that are just have had the most horrific run at it and they're just really it's the lowest point in their whole life but it is amazing as Bindi said to give them that second chance I think in one of the episodes of Crikey It's the O in season two mm-hmm. there's um, a, a tawny frogmouth, which is this kind of owl looking bird they're really weird and we got him and our amazing vet team gave him like a 15% chance of, of survival, which is like next to none. And he was, I mean, we all were preparing for him to, to die because mm-hmm. there was no way he was going to come back. But somehow he survived and he just had so much personality. And, you know, there's all these stories that you wouldn't think you'd get so attached to a bird, mm-hmm. but you do and you're fighting for them. You want them to recover. And, you know, it's, it's amazing. That's okay, cool, okay. Cool but times. can I tell you too, like we have this experience with a pregnant rhino on season two mm. and the gestation period is like over 16 months. So yeah. it's a long way. You're away. That's, yeah. that's, that's meaning like carrying. They're pregnant. Pregnancy. They're pregnant for, for 16, 16 yeah. months. So the rhino herself is saying, crikey, which yeah. is, you know, crikey. Well, crikey. Crikey. Yeah. Yeah. to a rhino. I mean, my goodness. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, and they're born without a horn in case you're worried. Perfect. Um, yeah, that's but, but I have to tell you the uh, mm. opposite end of the spectrum is that stuff is funny. So we have a rhino with a sense of humor. He's out in this paddock. It's about 30 acres where he gets to roam. Mm -hmm. And he hides behind this gate in the paddock. And then when the pony rides come down every day, the pony ride ponies walk down this road. And he hides behind the gate. And when the ponies get right in front of him, he jumps out from behind the gate. A rhino jumps. A rhino moves forward (laughs) quickly. He doesn't actually like gazelle leap through the air. (laughs) But he jumps out from behind the gate and the ponies all go ah! yeah. and you see him and just go ha ha and the next day he does it again he has a sense just of over humor. and over this he has his own movie the ride of the funny ride it's so, so funny so and clearly ponies are goldfish like they don't remember every day yeah. they go they get mad. Every day. Oh, my oh my god it's so funny well thank yeah. you for that <laughs> but I would have yeah I have a lot of questions yeah. we're going to talk about after this but Cindy I want to bring up a video that you just posted about your father Steve and you wrote, being a wildlife warrior means to stand up and speak for those who cannot speak for themselves. It's up to all of us to make a difference for the generations to come. The future is in our hands. And your dad's legacy is a big part of the show. And I really appreciate that statement that you made. And I would love to know, how do you all incorporate his message every day in the work that you do? Oh, that is a wonderful question. I think for us as a family, we always want to make sure that his legacy continues. Because Mm -hmm. dad always said, I don't care if people remember me. I care if people remember my message. So as a family, through the work that we do at Australia Zoo, before dad actually passed away, Mm -hmm. he and my beautiful mom sat down and wrote a 10-year business plan for Australia Zoo. And we have fulfilled all of his plans that he wanted for Australia Zoo. And now, next year, we're moving into our 50th year at Australia Zoo, our 50th birthday, and we have written a whole new set of plans, Mm -hmm. just leading it forward, Australia Zoo and our wildlife conservation work. We have projects all over the planet that he was so passionate about that we've continued to make bigger and better, helping rhinos and cheetahs in Africa, tigers in Sumatra. It's so important for us to continue dad's legacy and what he loved the most, which was wildlife conservation. And, and we get to do it together. But we just yeah. just finished one of his greatest goals, which was to o- open an elephant hospital 
in Indonesia. And so in Sumatra, when elephants um, step on a landmine or they get caught in a snare, there was no hospital to treat them. Wow. And we now have just opened an elephant hospital. Yes. So it's pretty yeah. special. Exciting, exciting. But That's these are the things he would talk about. Yeah. And it's so important to continue his mission. Yes, for sure. Well, speaking of continuing people's missions, I have to bring up breeding on the show. You all do a lot of that on there within the quality. Well, the scenes. animals do. Yeah. 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 Sorry. 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 We're going to introduce the artificial sounds. Playing a recording of a bellow generally sets up a threat. If he thinks that there's a rival male in the area, he's going to out-bellow him to attract the females. He's like, whoa, where's he? He sounds better than this one. <laughs> Okay, that scene just really gets me. But tell me, how do you all set the mood for the animals out there? <laughs> well, I have to tell you, every animal is different. So like with crocodiles, they go through a lot of courting. He blows bubbles under her and rubs up and down on her. And if she says, no, thank you, he goes away. Koalas are kind of more... Uh, enthusiastic. Abrupt? <laughs> yes. Yeah, abrupt. And Harley, the koala that you saw in, in the clip, has an injured arm. So he came to us uh, permanently hurt and couldn't go back into the wild. So genetically, he's awesome for breeding. But he can't hang on to the tree. So everything happens oh. in a tree, awkwardly mm. enough. And so we actually kind of have to help <laughs> yes. It's super yeah. awkward. It's super awkward. straight for the koala species. So yes. Yes, Mindy. Yes. It's important. It's important. Yeah. But yes. all of the courting and everything, it's we kind of help it it's, the it's, whole. It's fascinating. Yeah, mm. fascinating. It's, but you get the whole life cycle on the show. You Put know, it this from, way. From I, never, to, to death. I never had to give my kids the talk. No. Oh, you no. said go outside. Oh, all basically, happened. go outside. It's like, it's animal planet every day. <laughs> yes. I, when I was watching the show, I was like, I'm learning so many things. Yes. Moves, ideas, everything. Yeah. So thank yes. you. For <laughs> yeah. Before I let you go, because we're running low on time. <laughs> and a quick transition. Bindi, you and Chandler are recently engaged. Congratulations. Thank you so but much. But what people do not realize is that you all met at the zoo where Terry met Steve. And I'd love to know, what was it like to see this love flourish in the same place that you found love? Well, you know, it was so special when Chandler came to the zoo for a visit and he was at the time a professional wakeboarder. Mm -hmm. And so it was a whole group that came in and Bindi did the tour. And then Chandler had his brother write to me at the zoo and say, may Chandler please stay in touch with Bindi. And so the fact that he was so um, such a gentleman mm -hmm. and so kind about his, his approach, and I knew from the beginning that this was very special. But kind of interesting that I visited from America, met Steve, and got married, and Chandler visited from America and met Bindi, and they're getting married. It's, mm. Yeah. Who, what's up here? Yeah. <laughs> what am I doing? Yeah, no. Robert. Robert, Robert uh, is single. But it's Robert. Oh, Robert is single. Every yes, America, yes. Robert is single. But Robert, you, so you, know. have, you have a really important role oh. in this wedding, though. I, I do, You're yeah. You're walking your yeah. sister down the aisle. I'm walking Vinny down the aisle. I walked my sister down the aisle. Yeah, that's it's a very special moment. I'm You're so going excited. to cry a lot. Just oh, get yes, ready. I'm preparing but, for that. But let me know, what are you most looking forward to that day? And what animals can we expect to be involved because oh. it's going to be at the zoo? Well, well I, I think yeah, these guys have, have been amazing with planning everything. And I can't wait. I know it's going to be such a special moment and kind of this, this new chapter for the, for the Irwin family. So it's going to be awesome. I've put Chandler through his paces and, and he's, <laughs> he is a, a great guy. He really is. So I, I think it's going to be super special. I'm... Yeah, I'm thrilled, overjoyed. I'm sure there's going to be a lot of happy tears. But yeah, I think we're thinking of incorporating a lot of different animals. What do you reckon? I think we'd like yeah. to see some koalas walking down the aisle with us. Maybe wombats. Wombats. Yeah. That's a great idea. We'll see. Yeah. We'll yeah. get some snakes and crocodiles involved. When you live in a zoo, yeah. you, you know there's going to be. Yeah, you know, I think yeah, we should involved. start a tradition at a wedding day croc feed. A croc that yeah, feed. First croc yeah. feed. Yeah. As a couple. First croc feed I as husband that. and wife. <laughs> <laughs> that would be great. 
great. We're starting well, a new as, tradition. I now pronounce you man and wife. You may feed you the crocodile. You may feed the crocodile. <laughs> I love this. Only down under. Well, before we go, Chandler, did you tell me about the process of asking her for her hand in marriage? Did you ask for permission? Yes. So it was a few months out. I actually asked Terry and Robert personally. So Bindi had a meeting in the zoo, so I took the opportunity to set up a picnic for Terry and Robert and ask them if I was able to marry Bindi and I love her with all my heart and I really want to take it to the next step. And they immediately said yes and hugged me and welcomed me to the family and it was one of the most special days of my life. So for the proposal actually, it was on Bindi's 21st birthday. Oh, and I organized, cool. yeah, I organized a 21st birthday photo shoot, which became an engagement shoot. Shoot, but um, it you gave us the opportunity. I know, so it gave us the opportunity to dress up out of cocky and get nice clothes Otherwise, on. Otherwise, I would have been yeah. suspicious. Yeah, yeah exactly, because we never change out of cocky. Okay. That's what we're always wearing. Yeah. Gotcha. So we got into nice clothes, and the day before, Robert and I found the perfect spot so that he could hide in the bushes and get the perfect photo. So it was a really special day. Yeah, it was. There's a lot of moving parts. And a lot of family effort. Yeah, so it was a big team effort, actually. And he's very clever. You know, here's a picnic with a cheese wheel. What do you reckon? Oh, I reckon you're great. You can marry me. Make a note, America, cheese boards will get you married. Yes. Thank you all so much for being here. This has been so much fun. And now I want to come visit, because I'm sure that's going to be totally Wear that. Yeah. Will wear my yes. little French yes. shirt with a cougar. I don't. What type of animal is this? It, it looks like a leopard. Yeah, like leopard. Yeah, leopard. yeah. it's yeah. dangerous. Leopard cheetah. Yes, apex predator. Yes. Well, thank you all so much. Crikey, it's the Owens premieres this Saturday on Animal Planet. Up next, more Antidia. Justin Hartley was on the show last week to spill some tea on his hit show, This Is Us. And after these cameras stopped, we asked him to stay around to continue the kiki. Take a look. These two are stellar. If I had to choose one, it would be Milo. Boom! My sister. I'd go to a concert with this guy. I'd like to see these two as roommates on a reality show. Hi, I'm Justin Hartley. I am on BuzzFeed News, AM to DM. We're going to play a game called Who is Most Likely This Is Us Edition. Probably be me, but if I had to choose one of these paddles, sometimes this young man can get himself into trouble. He likes to tell stories and he can sometimes spill the beans. But he's such a good actor that he'll actually make you uh, think that he didn't tell you anything. Gosh, is that an insult though? I feel like Sterling's a really, probably a really good responsible driver. I feel like Milo's a good driver. He's a bike rider and a, he's a car guy. Chris is a car guy, he's probably a good driver. I feel like Mandy probably has people driving her around a lot. You know what, I'm gonna go with Sue. I don't know, they're all probably, it may be Milo, who knows. Oh, that'd be this guy. It would be a it would be a sad day because everyone loves him. He's the guy that would like sit in front of you with the hat on that you couldn't see anything. I would definitely fire this young man. <laughs> I saw this gentleman perform the other night in front of a live audience. He's got great taste in music. I think Sue has perfect pitch. Sterling's always dancing and singing. Great taste in music. All of that. If I gosh, I mean, let's go with Mandy. Just released a new single, so let's go with Mandy. I gotta go here. And it's a big, big bus, guys, because we're throwing all of them in there. There's a good road trip right there. There's Mandy in there, she's sitting in the back. There we go. That'd be fun. I wouldn't get a word in edgewise. Chris. Chris would have an embarrassing tattoo, but I don't think he would be embarrassed by it. Chris probably has a tattoo of this on his back. So it would look like this. He turned around, it would be like this. Boom! My sister. She's very connected with her emotions. She's very honest, very real, very true, very sweet, very smart. And she's she's wonderful. And she would cry during a rom-com, I think. Or my brother. <laughs> Could be my brother. What I learned from this video is that all of my castmates are equally as handsome and beautiful in yellow. I mean, look at this. This is like not a good shade of yellow at all. This is like a mustard. But they're all pulling it off. Who would have thought? Huh? Not me. Quote from Haben Gurma, I dream of a future where students can just be students instead of having to juggle the roles of student, teacher, and advocate. Joining me now is Haben Gurma to talk about her new book, Haben, The Deaf-Blind Woman Who Conquered Harvard Law. Welcome. 
Thanks for having me here. As, as you learned from the title of my book, I'm deaf, blind, and have limited vision and hearing. I want to be able to connect with people just like everyone else. So throughout my life, I've been seeking solutions to increase the way to connect with people. There's sign language, there's print on palm where you can write letters on palm. There's finger spelling, which Helen Keller used. One of my strongest skills is braille, reading with my fingers, my sense of touch. So I found a way to connect a braille with a keyboard so that it would be easier for me to connect and talk with people. So during this conversation, as you speak, Cameron is typing on a keyboard and the keyboard is connected wirelessly and shows up digital braille that I'm reading on my fingers. Do, do you want to try it, Alex? Sure. I'm so excited to interview you. I'm excited to be interviewed <laughs> by Alex. And I'm going to pass it back over here. I want to talk about your book. What audience are you trying to reach with your writing? I want to reach all audiences. Most people don't understand the struggles faced by people with disabilities. And there's ableism. Ableism is the idea that people with disabilities are inferior to the non-disabled. We're not inferior, but that's the message that society gives out. So through my book, I have lots of stories, fun, engaging stories that show examples of ableism and strategies people with disabilities can use to remove those barriers and strategies non-disabled people like, like your audiences watching and the disabled audiences watching to remove barriers so that our whole world can be more inclusive. We're definitely gonna talk about those, but first I wanna go back to that quote I read when I introduced you. How did you have to balance the roles of student, teacher, and advocate to get to where you are? Yeah, at first I could not balance them. It was overwhelming and exhausting. Most people in school are just students, but because the material in school was provided visually, written on the board, the teacher saying out loud what the homework was, I was missing it. And in order to get it, I finally realized I had to be my own teacher. I had to advocate and check in, what's the assignment? Because I didn't see what you wrote on the board. What did you say at the end of class? Because I missed it. And my grades improved dramatically when I took responsibility for my own education. And I became a stronger advocate, first for myself, then for other people. You do a, a lot of public speaking. You've gone surfing. You've even climbed glaciers. Is there anything that still intimidates you? <laughs> One thing I can't do is cartwheeling. I think if I trained with an Olympic gymnast, <laughs> maybe I'd learn it. But time is valuable. I don't necessarily want to use my time to study gymnastics when I could advocate or write books. Writing is a form of advocacy. Let's talk a little bit more about your advocacy, starting off with why is the Americans with Disabilities Act such a crucial step towards equality for people with disabilities? So before the ADA, when people with disabilities encountered barriers, we would feel stuck. What can we do? How can we compel organizations to remove barriers? And I discovered this when I was in college. I, I attended Lewis and Clark College in Portland, Oregon, and this was after the ADA was passed. The ADA was passed in 1990. And the school, Lewis and Clark, did a fantastic job providing me access to materials in school. My exams were in Braille. My textbooks were in Braille. There was just one problem. The cafeteria menus were only in print, and as a blind student, I couldn't read them. 
Blindness wasn't the problem. The problem was the format of the menu. Back then, I was vegetarian. There were about six different food stations. I'd wait in line, get food, try the food, and then often it wasn't even a vegetarian meal. That was really frustrating. So I went to the cafeteria manager and asked, can you provide the menu in Braille or post it online or email it to me? I have technology that allows me to use websites and email. The manager said, we're very busy. We have over a thousand students. We can't do this kind of specialized service. And I tolerated that for a while. I told myself, at least I'm getting an education. At least I have some food. Mm -hmm. But when we, when we accept unfairness, it just follows us. It continues. It never goes away if we don't advocate for the removal of those barriers. So I did research, talked to advocates. Then I went back to the cafeteria manager and explained, the Americans with Disabilities Act prohibits discrimination against people with disabilities. Mm -hmm. And if you don't provide access to the menus, I'm gonna take legal action. Mm -hmm. I had no idea what I would do. I was 19 and couldn't afford, couldn't afford a lawyer, but I knew I wanted to try and had to do something. Mm -hmm. That conversation switched the culture from thinking of services for people with disabilities as charity mm -hmm. to actually thinking about it as a mandatory requirement, mm -hmm. part of civil rights. From that point on, they started providing access to the menus. The next year, a new blind student came to the college and he had access to the menus. Mm. That taught me when I advocate, I remove barriers for all the students, for all the people who come after me. And, and that's what inspired me to study law and use the Americans with Disabilities Act to remove barriers. You mentioned your career in law. What do you think is currently the biggest threat to the rights of people with disabilities? People with disabilities also have talents. A lot of us forget that, or, or a lot of people unfortunately forget that. And we need to remind people that everyone has challenges and strengths. People with disabilities have talents too. So the biggest threat is ableism, the idea that people with disabilities have no talents and are inferior to the non-disabled. Stories are a way to change that idea, to offer society positive definitions of disability. In particular, in your book, I really enjoyed reading about your trip to the White House, where you were honored as a champion uh, for change, and you met President Obama and Vice President Joe Biden. How do the policies now for people with disabilities differ between um, that administration and the current one? <laughs> so, under President Obama, we had so many advocates working at the White House to increase opportunities for the disabled. And I remember President Obama passed a resolution to increase, to remove the word um, retarded from our vocabulary because it's offensive and hurtful to people with intellectual disabilities. Language is powerful and we need to be thoughtful about the language we use. The current administration is, is hurting the disability community and constantly working to remove opportunities and rights. And I, it's, it's, it's really difficult and advocates across the country are working to, to protect our rights and work for justice for people with disabilities. As a black woman and the child of refugees, have you felt any anti-immigrant sentiment intersect with your work? My parents are from Eritrea and Ethiopia. I grew up hearing about the war and struggles. And uh, there was actually an incident due to the war where my father was taken away from me. And I was seven years old on a plane just with my father until they took him away. It was terrifying. And 
even even now to this day, I still carry those fears and and the trauma. He he escaped. He made it back, and I'm really really grateful. But there's so many kids who have been separated from their parents, and that needs to stop. It's awful.、Mm. One of the things we mentioned a couple of times is ableism. What are some ways that、uh, progressive people、um, can actually be ableist, even if they think that they're not? It is so frustrating when you try to educate someone who's ableist and they get defensive. Often they'll say, "I'm just being nice." <laughs> so you, it's okay to not know everything. No one knows everything. If someone tries to educate you about some harm you're causing, such as ableism, be open to learning. Be open to feedback. Hmm. You mentioned being open to feedback. What is one effective way folks can fight against ableism? There are lots of barriers. In order to remove them, we need to ask ourselves, what are some of the barriers that exist, and start asking. I would love for more people to ask their employers: Are our services are accessible? Is our facility accessible? Are our videos accessible? Are we including captions and transcripts to reach more people? So ask these questions and get people thinking about accessibility. We have time for one more question. I think. Any plans to write another book? What's next for you? <laughs> so writing is powerful to teach people. I've shared some of the lessons that I've learned from my life, and I'm gathering more lessons to share with people. The next book. I haven't fully decided, but if I do a second book, I would think I'd focus more on relationships between people, and the work we need to do to go past our differences so that we can fully connect. Well, Haban, it was wonderful getting to learn more about your work. Thank you so much for joining me. Thanks for having me here. Haban is available wherever books are sold. Up next, we're responding to a few more of your tweets. Welcome back, y'all. I must say that was such a wonderful conversation that, that I do not think we have enough about disability rights and what we as a community are doing to prevent people、yeah. who are battling disabilities or living with disabilities from having a fully equitable life. Yeah, I think、uh, you know one of the things that over the past year I've really tried to challenge myself to do is to examine the ways that I use ableist language.、Mm-hmm. I think that you know just from getting to talk to Haben,、um, like so much of what she kept on bringing it back to is like、mm-hmm. there are barriers. You know, we live in such an ableist culture, and. I always think about how there are so many phrases that we're so used to saying、yeah. that are actually like really ableist. So one of the ways that I've tried to do this is really by trying to like check myself whenever I fall back into those phrases and, and just thinking about it more. You know, I certainly hope that we can do more coverage like that and have more of those conversations. For sure. And、yeah. what I want to do is take that clip of her saying, you know, not everyone knows everything, and that when you're telling when someone tells you you're being ableist, listen, because you could apply that to racism, homophobia, everything, and that's all people are saying when they check you. Is that like, hey, just let you know that's not okay. To do this is why don't put the burden、mm-hmm. on that person who you've just offended on explaining to you why you're like not a bad person. Like、mm-hmm. it's so bad. So、mm-hmm. I think I love that clip because I think it could help people really understand how to have tough conversations about their own the own their own ways in which they are hurting others through being ableist、mm-hmm. and so on and so totally. forth. Totally,、so, absolutely. Well, thank、yeah. you for that. Well, before we get to your treats, we have some breaking news. Senator Sanders' presidential campaign events canceled until further no- notice after he was found to have a block. In one artery, and two stents were successfully inserted. Operation came after he quote felt some chest comfort at an event yesterday. So so sad. Yeah, that's wild. I, mean, I guess you know, glad to hear that he's、uh, seems to. Be making a recovery, I suppose, based on that tweet. Yes. So、yeah. there have been a lot of tweets from his、uh, fellow running folks in this big race,、um, all saying they're glad that he's up and he's talking. He's not up, but he's talking. And folks says that he is stable. So we will have more updates on that very soon.、Um, but that is breaking news today. So his events will not be happening、mm. moving forward. Right. I am sure that we will definitely、uh, be covering that over the next couple of days.、Yes. So yeah. Well, Jolie tweeted this about our conversation about the Joker director. 
Good comedy is about punching up. Punching down is bullying. Here's the thing that I don't get when people are like, you can't, you know, they, they say all this stuff about offending people. It's like, do you understand what is contained when we say offense? Yeah. Like, it's not this nebulous term. It means that, like, you're being racist, yeah. you're being sexist. Like, it actually means something. It's yeah. not people just, like, complaining about something meaningless. No, I'm I not feel creating, like, a, yes. like, an imaginary problem. It actually exists. You're actually hurting someone. Yeah. Listen to me. That's the quote of the day. Listen, listen. To me. <laughs> yeah. Oh well, we wanted to know what your favorite funny show or movie is that is not offensive. A Smith says Brooklyn Nine Nine. See, lots of funny shit out there. Yeah. that is lovely. You have choices, y'all. Yeah, it's just like when you go to Chick Fil A. Still, you made that choice. <laughs> I, let's not. Let's not even go there. Let's not even go there. Okay. I have you know not why. bought Chick Fil A you know many, many uh-huh. years. Okay. Well, thank you to our guests, Goldie Taylor, Daniel Whitman, Ryan Michelle Bethay, the Irwin family, and Hobbin Gurma. We will be back here tomorrow at 10 a.m. Have a great rest of your day, Twitter. 